You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Well, good morning, friends. So good uh, to be here with you. If I haven't met you, um, my name is Gabby. I'm a pastoral apprentice here at Midtown. Um, And it's just a beautiful morning for us to just get to be together. So thank you for spending your Sunday morning here. Um, This past Wednesday, uh, for those of you who missed it, uh, we gathered in this space for Ash Wednesday, um, which we kicked off the season of Lent, which is the period of time that leads up until Easter. Uh, During service, we had um, time of reflection at these stations around the room um, where uh, um, we reflected on how we might adjust our values, our beliefs, and our behaviors in light of what Jesus is calling us to do. Um, And we also kicked off our new sermon series, Um, You've Heard It Said, But Jesus Says to You. Um, And Clint shared on Wednesday how you've heard it said to follow your heart but Jesus says to give up your desires. Um, And this morning for us, um, we are gonna talk about how you've heard it said that your spite is justified, Uh, but Jesus says to you to practice forgiveness. In his book, Mere Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis says that everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. (laughs) I love the idea of forgiveness. And I know it's something I should do. Uh, But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of it, when it comes down to actually coming face-to-face with somebody I need to forgive, I don't know. It's it's a complex thing. It's hard. And yet, it's something that we are called to do. This week, I was was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, which um, somebody informed me this week that people don't listen to podcasts anymore. Is this true? Are we still listening to podcasts? I am. <laughs> yes. Okay. Good. I'm not alone. Uh, but my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts is This American Life. Anybody a fan of that one? Nice. Okay. Well, this last week, the episode that they aired, the opening story was about this woman named Jill. And Jill is a flight attendant. And Jill has a coworker who she calls her nemesis. Like, that's like a strong strong word. And the only crime that her co-worker had committed um, was the crime of being annoying. She said that her co-worker was just an incessant talker. She just would not stop talking, and it drove her insane. And because of it, they just didn't get along. Well, as a flight attendant, they can't just be snippy around each other in front of passengers. So it was almost like she had to be creative about the way she dealt with her nemesis. She gave this example um, of when they would be in the middle of the aisle with a beverage cart and her, her coworker would be stuck on the other side and would, would say, hey, um, would you get me some more Cokes from the galley? And she'd look her dead in the eye and be like, we don't have any Cokes back there. And to the passengers, they, that sounds like normal conversation. Oh, they don't have any Cokes, it's fine. But her coworker knew, and Jill know, knew, they had Cokes back there. She was just deliberately sabotaging her coworker because she's stuck behind the beverage cart. She can't go get them herself. And so she, Jill described this behavior 
is a tiny little symbol of hostility. <laughs> oh, this story made me laugh because of the sheer pettiness of Jill, which is just astounding, really. Um, but it also caused me to reflect on how common um, this kind of spiteful behavior is. How we're bombarded with messages to take care of you. You do you, you make sure you're taken care of, everyone else be damned. And that's kind of the message that we're bombarded with in our culture. Well, here's a definition of spite for you. It is deliberately hurting, annoying, or offending someone. It is a deliberate choice. That, that is what spite is. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, and if we do some reflection, we might have areas of our life where maybe we've allowed spite a comfortable seat at the table. Maybe it's like Jill, it's with a coworker. Maybe uh, you're like me, and it's when somebody's trying to merge into your lane. <laughs> uh, maybe it's with a family member, or a friend, or a roommate. I've had a lot of those roommate situations. And they've wronged you in some way. And so you spitefully get back at them. And I think that if we reflect on the relationships in our lives, we might find places where maybe we also are participating in tiny little symbols of hostility, whether we realize it or not. And to the world, it may not be a big deal. In fact, um, they might say that that behavior is justified. Maybe Jill's coworker deserved it. Maybe she is really annoying and she just deserves that treatment. Maybe so-and-so is just a jerk and deserves to be spitefully handled, and so on, and so on. Uh, but for those of us in this room, and those of us scattered across, we might know that um, the life that we're called to is, is not one of spitefulness, but it, it's one of forgiveness. You see, every single Sunday, we pray what we pray together, the Lord's Prayer. Included in this corporate prayer, we pray that our debts be forgiven as we forgive our debtors. And this is the prayer that Jesus taught, teaches us to pray. Um, and in the book of Matthew, where, um, um, one part where, where we get this prayer from, Jesus actually has an immediate follow-up to this prayer. So if, um, if you want to follow along with me, we're going to read from Matthew 6, um, starting at verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, um, the words are going to be up behind me um, as well. So Matthew 6, uh, verse 14, Jesus gives this follow-up to the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you've tasked us with a complicated thing. And we know that we're only capable of, um, of doing such a task because of the great forgiveness that you have extended to us, Lord. So I pray that um, as we sit and reflect on your words um, this morning that we might, we might surrender some of the hurts we've been holding dearly to, that we might live in the forgiveness you give us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I love that of, 
of that prayer, of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus knew what he needed to follow up on. As a reminder, because it's almost as if he knew this was something we were going to have a hard time with. To practice forgiveness is the call of the Christian life. Not because we're morally superior, looking down on others who um, are below us, um, but actually quite the opposite, because we're actually people who are in need of forgiveness. That we forgive because we're forgiven. And upon uh, first listen of um, Jesus' words, um, it might seem that he's implying that forgiveness is earned by forgiving. Um, But rather, actually what Jesus is saying is that our forgiven nature should inform how we dole out forgiveness. That how we forgive is actually a tangible display of how the forgiveness we've been extended, how that has transformed us. How we forgive is an example of that transformation that has happened because of the forgiveness we've received. It's a tangible example. The theologian uh, Dale Bruner says this about forgiveness. Forgiveness is almost a single word summary of both the Christian gospel and of the Christian ethic, of God's gift to us and of our responsibility to others. That forgiveness is... It's almost a a one word to wrap up what the gospel is and how we are to live because because of the gospel. That it is our gift and our responsibility. That That is what forgiveness is for us. That this is the call of our lives. To be the forgiven forgivers. That we are forgiven forgivers. And so in order to to do that, we've got to believe that we're forgiven. The question we might need to ask ourselves is, do we know we're forgiven? And I don't just mean that Sunday school answer, like, yes, I know, yes, I believe. But like, do we believe it? Do we in our bones believe that we are a forgiven people? There are two tensions I think we might face um, in answering this question. It's either one, we do not believe we are able to be forgiven, Or two, we do not believe we have anything to be forgiven of. If we believe that our sin is too big for forgiveness, then our view of God is too small. If you think that you are unable to receive, your view of God is too small. Uh, Psalm 103, which we read um, to start off our service time this morning, is one of my favorite psalms to read when this is a temptation I'm feeling, when I feel that I am incapable of forgiveness. Some of the words that are in it are just so profound. Um, God's mercy, graciousness, steadfast, abounding love. And so it's impossible for us to out-sin the forgiveness of God. If this is the tendency you fall into, my invitation to you is to open up your Bible, read Psalm 103 every day. Write it down and let the words of God's mercy, graciousness, steadfast, abounding love wash over you. To feel it in your bones. One of my favorite lines um, from Psalm 103 is that you are crowned with love and compassion. So if this is the temptation, you feel that you are incapable of receiving God's love and mercy you are actually crowned with love and compassion. On the the flip side, if we believe we have nothing to be forgiven, then we lose 
the profoundness of what Jesus did on the cross. The profoundness and mystery of God choosing to love us and have his son die for us. It's lost when we don't understand the depth of our need, the depth of our sin. The gift of what Jesus did on the cross is lost without the weight of our need. And I think, unfortunately, the church has done a really bad job at focusing solely on the weight of sin. And then we're left just to sit on it. We're left to sit. Like, think of people shouting on the streets, we're sinners, you're going to hell, sinner. But the church has done a really poor job of really enforcing that onto people and then letting people sit in it. But we're meant, not meant to focus on the weight of sin for the sake of the weight, but to fully understand why, why it is that the cross matters so much. That is what that weight is for, to, for the sake of what Jesus did. If we don't understand fully what it is that Jesus is doing, then the message of the cross falls flat. Now, some of you might have normal hobbies, which might include uh, reading, cooking, movie watching, some of these things. Um, well, my hobbies are weird, um, and one of them includes watching, <laughs> watching videos of things being cleaned. <laughs> yes. Um, my favorites are power washing sidewalks and fences, bleach cleaning showers, <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of my personal favorite is rug cleaning videos. It's very specific. It is very satisfying, you guys. <laughs> uh, there are these really extreme rugs where, like, they unroll it, and it's just, you know that thing is just, it's, it's seen some life. And <laughs> they spray it down with water, they put the soap, and they've got this, like, squeegee that they, they, they just, like, go like this. And you just see the disgusting dirt just, like, washing off of it. Um, but there are also um, these rugs that when you actually look at them, they don't even appear that dirty. If you were to see, if I were to go to your house and I saw one of them in your house, I wouldn't think anything of it. Not that I'm judging your rugs when I come to your house. <laughs> um, and I, I've, I've actually got um, an example of one of these rugs for us. Um, if you were to see this rug, you'd say, oh, that's a nice neutral rug. Put some pops of color with, you know, whatever. It's a neutral rug. It's got a nice pattern. It's nice and lovely. You wouldn't think anything of it, right? Wrong. <laughs> because I watched the video of this rug being cleaned, and it turns out that this rug color is actually this. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> That is not a neutral colored rug. That's got blues and purple and pinks and oranges and greens. That is a bright, vibrant colored rug. Now, unless you had compared the before and after of this rug, you may have never known it was dirty in the first place, unless you had the side-by-side -side comparison. The colors are brighter. They're more vibrant. In fact, there were colors hiding that you didn't even know were there in the first place. Like, new life has been brought into this rug. And maybe we're a little bit like these rugs. Dirt building up over time, years of buildup piling on. 
I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take this analogy far, guys, and it might get a little cheesy, but I really need you to go with me here. <laughs> God has already paid for the power cleaning of our rugs. <laughs> that Jesus is holding on to a squeegee and he's lovingly ready to restore us back to the vibrancy and the colors that he hand-stitched into us in the beginning. But unless we acknowledge it, unless we can say, yes, this is something I am in need of, we may never understand the depths of our need. We might never understand exactly what it is that God has for us. And the point of this is not to point out to all the other rugs and say, look how dirty your rug is. It's meant to reflect inward. Where could could I use a power wash? And then lay ourselves down at the feet of Jesus and then point others to us and look, look at this. Look how I've been restored. Look at what has been done. And in doing so, the weight of sin is not diminished. It's not ignored and it's not minimized. But rather, it's the work of the cross that is highlighted. We're still going with this analogy, guys. There isn't a single rug that cannot be cleaned. So no matter what you believe about yourself, there is not a single thing you could do that could stop God from extending the forgiveness that was already given through Jesus on the cross. Not a single thing. You're loved, you're loved, you're loved. So what then do we do as a forgiven people? Well, we get to live as forgiven forgivers. And that means that we got to be forgivers. Uh, recently, over the past year, um, one of an example of forgiveness um, I got to see was through my husband. Uh, some of you um, might know my daughter, Ella. She's three and a half. Um, she's spicy. She's our, her, her preschool teacher described her as a quiet spice. You wouldn't know it. Um, well, about a year ago, um, she was attending a daycare um, in, near our home. And she'd been going to this daycare for about six months um, when I received a phone call at work. Um, I, at the time, I was working at Food for the Hungry. And I received this phone call, and it's a daycare worker. And she's informed me that Ella has been bit, not once, but six times. And in fact, when we took her home, we actually found out that she'd been bit ten times. Ten times in one go. And I, I, was, sh- I was shaking with rage. Ella is already a very timid, very shy pr- child. And I'm just, I'm sh- in general, I wouldn't want this to happen to any kid any, or, or either of my kids, but the fact that it happened to this kid who's already really, really just weary of the world just broke me. And so um, my husband, who also works at Food for the Hungry, was in office that day, and I'm, I, I'm shaking with rage right now just thinking about it. Um, but I, w- I was shaking. And I, I went straight to his office, and I told him what happened. And, and he, he was a lot more um, action-oriented. I was just, like, shaking, and he's like, I'm going to go get her right now. And oh, we decided right on the spot, we we're removing her from that daycare, and she will never attend there ever again. 
And so he took the, the drive from downtown to Chandler, and I'm sure he was also shaking with rage, and um, gets to the daycare, and Ella's um, been separated. She's with a daycare worker, and so he meets with um, the daycare director, and he's angry, I mean, rightfully so. Um, and he lets her know, we're never sending our kid back here again. Um, she, is, she tells us that we won't be charged for the week, which was like the last thing on our mind, but is nice. Um, but, and he's angry. And he did something that just really, to this day, just baffles me. But he asked if he could have the name of the little girl that did this. And the director said, I'm really sorry, I can't share the name with her. Uh, I'm sure she's like thinking, oh God, this guy's gonna like sue the family. He's gonna go scream at the family. And so she, I'm sure she's trying to protect the little girl as well. Um, and so she says that, and Jordan says, well, I want, I want to know her name because I want to be able to pray for her. And I really want her to know, and I want her family to know that we forgive her. And I, I don't know that that's something I would have been able to do. If, if we had swapped, if I had been the one that had driven down, and I probably would have cri- I cry when I'm angry. I would have been crying. Um, and I, d- I don't know that I would have had the, the, the thought to even think to forgive. Um, and so it spoke so much to me about what forgiveness is. For Jesus, uh, forgiveness is a hallmark feature of being a follower of him. It's a hallmark feature. It's in the parables he told, the people he spent his time with, the prayer he taught us to pray. To follow Jesus is meant to be someone who extends forgiveness. When Jesus talks about forgiveness, one of the most classic, classic Jesus ways he does it is through parables. Um, a, a parable some of us might be familiar with is found in Matthew 18, and it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Like so many of Jesus' parables, this one trades in hyperbole. So there's a servant of the king who owes 10,000 talents. One talent is about 6,000 denarii, give or take, with each denarius uh, worth a day's wage of labor. So basically, the servant owes the, an amount that is so large it exceeds the national debt of a small country. It's um, an amount that no person could repay, even if they were to sell themselves and their family into servitude for several lifetimes. And then in an outrageous act of generosity uh, and mercy, the king graciously forgives this unforgivable debt. And so there's a second servant who owes this first servant who has received this this graciousness. And he owes about 100 denarii. It's a decent amount of money, uh, but it's minuscule in comparison to the debt that was forgiven by the king. And when the forgiven servant refuses to extend the same... Small amount of extend a small amount of compassion from the enormous one he was given. Um, it angers the king, and I think rightfully so. Like, dude, dude, what did I just do for you? Are you incapable of doing that same thing for another at, at such a smaller scale? And it angers him. He's granted his, the servant a level of forgiveness that exceeds imagination, and yet that servant is unwilling to offer even the smallest mercy to another. Jesus uses this parable to point out that we are the man with an enormous debt. But there's another point to, uh, to this parable, that the man, instead of being the forgiven forgiver, he becomes the unforgiving forgiven. 
and in his unforgivingness is a representative of the king who sent him. So as he's choking the man and orders him to be put in prison, not only is he saying something about himself, the kind of person he is, but he's actually saying something about the kind of king he serves. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we're Christ's representatives and that God's making his appeal through us. And we're Christ's representatives. We represent him in how we love and in how we do not love others. And I'm sure some of us might be able to think of a few folks who maybe poorly represented that in our own lives. In his book, The, the Apostles' Creed for Today, theologian Justo Gonzalez says this, when we refuse to forgive each other, or when, we, or when all the church does is point to the shortcomings of others outside the church, how do others see it? At best, they see us as hypocrites or as ungrateful people who claim to be forgiven sinners and yet do not really believe it or do not act as if we do. At worst, since we claim to be servants of the king, they come to the conclusion that our God is as harsh and unforgiving as we are. By extending forgiveness, we offer a small taste of the forgiveness offered by Jesus. It's the Costco sample that makes you want to buy it in bulk, <laughs> only to find that anyone who goes to look for it, it's available to them for free. But um, like we've already acknowledged, forgiving is really complex and hard. So what are the, some of the steps that we can take to actually practice forgiveness? Like, what can we actually do about this? Uh, but first, before that, I want to clear up what forgiveness is not so that we can focus on what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not forgive and forget. It is not void of consequence. And it isn't making yourself a doormat. Forgiveness can be a lifelong journey. And I... I speak as someone who's been walking that lifelong journey of forgiving folks who have caused a deep pain. It's, it's really hard stuff. Forgiveness does not always equal reconciliation. And there are situations in which your forgiveness does not mean you have to live with or even speak to the accused. Forgiveness can take time, and it's okay if it doesn't come easily. The release of anger and resentment can be extremely difficult. This is really complicated stuff. And I don't want you to hear me telling you to lie down and be trampled on. That is not forgiveness. That is not biblical. That is not loving. And that is not what we're called to do. But if we were to look at some real practical tools for forgiveness... Um, we can find it um, in the, um, a book called the book, of the, Forgi- uh, the book of Forgiving by Desmond Tutu, um, who knows a great deal about forgiveness through his efforts on resolving and ending the apartheid. In his book, he has four stages of forgiving that I'm going to quickly go through. The first, um, the first is to tell the story. Speak the facts of what has happened. Do this with a trusted loved one. And if possible, Tell that story to the one who hurt you. If you don't have somebody who you trust, I, I will be that person. Maybe it's somebody in this room. But to, to do this with somebody who you love and trust. 
The second is to name the hurt, to identify the feelings that are part of the facts. The anger and sadness and grief are okay. Don't, don't wipe them away. Sit with those. Identify those. Um, and it can be long and slow, um, but bring those emotions and challenges to God and to trusted others as you go through this process. The third is to grant forgiveness. When we grant forgiveness, um, it undoes the chains that bound us to the person who hurt us. That healing and restoration come when we're able to tell a new story on the other side. The fourth is renewing or releasing the relationship. That renewal is always the the preference, um, but release sometimes is necessary um, because of safety and health. And these are four stages that I have very recently walked through with somebody close to me. And identifying boundaries with somebody, somebody, again, that you love and trust um, as you walk through these are are really important. Um, And also, just as an FYI, um, we've got these Lenten devotionals. Um, They're they're on the back table back here um, that pairs with our sermon series leading up to Easter. And these four steps are, are in there for examining this week. Um, So if you haven't picked one up, I definitely encourage that. Um, But my encouragement to us is to sit and to reflect on the relationships in our lives, to ask God to reveal to us, um, who are some people I really have been, I've been holding on to this, to this grudge, to this spite for some time, God, and I, I need to walk through this. And then find somebody who you love and trust to walk through it with. So if the definition of spite is intentionally causing harm and forgiveness requires the release of anger and resentment, then I believe that means for us as followers of Jesus who have been called to forgive that we must not let our resentment and our anger dictate our behavior to become spiteful. That it will take the hard work of working through these stages um, towards forgiveness in our lives. And if we've heard it said that spite is justified, may we be a people who have been transformed by the radical grace of God and live as forgiven forgivers and in doing so, point others to the one who has an infinite amount of forgiveness to those who seek him. Would you pray with me?